You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. I am your host, Ben Wolf. I want to introduce our guest today who is going to teach about how to go solo as an executive and ask you all at this moment before we get started to pause this for a second. Please follow, subscribe, leave a review, whatever the platform that you're listening to or watching this on allows you to do. Uh, please do that. It definitely helps give more people access and the benefit of what we are sharing here. Um, and with that, I want to get into introducing our guest today, who is a former chemical engineer and executive. He now helps consultants, coaches, and professional service business owners learn how to be more successful as entrepreneurs themselves. He's the host of the popular podcasts, Smashing the Plateau and Going Solo. You could find out more about him and what he does in those two podcasts at smashingtheplateau.com. And with that, I give you David Schreiner-Khan. Welcome, David. Thank you so much, Ben. Thanks for inviting me. My absolute pleasure. So let's just jump right in with you know what I usually start off with people, which is please give us some context. How did you get into this? What's so a quick two-minute background on where you came from and how you came to be uh, you know, doing the kind of work that you're doing now we're gonna be talking about today. Um, yeah, and you, you sort of um, alluded to it in your introduction. So yeah, I graduated from Cornell with a master's in chemical engineering a long time ago, worked as an engineer for a few years, got fired um, from my second job right after getting a, um, a, a str very strong performance review and a nice raise because the company I worked for had lost a lot of business, um, did some soul searching, ended up going into the not-for-profit space. I was an executive in, uh, in that sector for uh, well over 20 years and uh, wanted more control over my life and more control over what I did, et cetera. Um, then became a consultant. Uh, my transition also um, was triggered but although I wanted to become a consultant, had thought about it for a long time, the actual trigger was also job termination. Um, and again, it was not performance related. It was just redundancy. Um, there was some change, a layer above me and redundancy with my skills. So I sort of saw it coming. Um, anyway, I became a consultant and my business over the last 15 years has, um, you know, pushed me in the direction of... Um, helping others like me make the transition. So um, over the last 15 years, more and more uh, of the kinds of uh, people that have asked me for help with their businesses have been consultants. And, um, mm -hmm. and, and now we serve them in, uh, individually and in, in a community of like-minded folks to help them make the transition after um, a long career as an employee developing deep expertise in their field, help them leverage that expertise and, um, and run the kind of business that suits who they are and what they want for their lives as a consultant. Right. I mean, that is super interesting. And one of the things you say on your website about your Going Solo podcast is that is their quote, to help highly skilled professionals build their own business following a late career job loss. So are you, and I know that it, you know probably resonates from your background based on what the story you just told, is, is your target market for this, for this, I guess, for the podcast and for the work that you're doing and for your mission, um, truly focused on those, you know, your target market truly focused on those people who have undergone a late career job loss. Yes, it is. And, and in fact, 
one of the things I discovered, and I, I was podcasting for a long time. I started smashing the plateau in 2014 and decided um, to um, kind of test the waters with a narrower focus with going solo, in two, which I launched in 2019, um, specifically to focus on those that have made the transition when there is a job loss. And one of the things I discovered is many of the consultants who were very successful that I had known for a long time actually started their business when they got pushed out of their jobs. Um, and the interesting thing that I learned over the last couple of years since I started going solo is that the, um, there's a lot of shame associated with job loss. And so um, particularly people that, that are, um, highly skilled, high achievers, they will not generally, unless, um, unless prompted, they're not voluntarily going to share the fact that they started a consulting business because they got pushed out of their job. Right. Yeah, that is so true. And I don't know that I've, and just to be vulnerable here for a second, I don't know that I've mentioned it ever on this podcast before, but you know, but the, but the same thing applies to me. I don't know if I, you know, I don't know if I would call it late career, mid career, maybe, but, but I, I really am where I am and I'm doing what I'm doing because of a series, because of a series of events and a series of evolutions that took place in my life following, following a job loss, being laid off at, you know, one of the top law firms in Manhattan uh, after being there for five years, because our department and my myself in particular had low hours for a couple of years straight. And finally, a few of us got, got let go mid-level and senior level associates. And, uh, and so definitely relate to that. I relate to this, what you said about shame um, and how sometimes we don't end up getting to the next level because it's too hard to be brave enough to make a change and take risk until we're forced to take the risk. Um, exactly. And right. And, and in your situation, Ben, it doesn't mean that you were a bad lawyer. I tried, tried, I tried to be good. <laughs> right. But, but you know what, like, so when you're in a law firm, there's kind of two aspects of it. One is you actually have to practice the law well and produce good results for clients. The other piece is you have to acquire clients. And so there's, um, I was not, a, I was not a rainmaker in the firm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, I mean, I have this conversation with people all the time. I actually was um, it, in, in one of our groups. We just had this discussion this morning about the fact that there are people who have who are really good at marketing and sales and um, they're kind of shallow on expertise. And then there are people that are really good in expertise, but a little shallow in marketing and sales. Right. And um the, those that you that we all know about and we see and um, and particularly those those of us who focus on quality those are, you know the people that we recognize are the ones that generally have some combination of both that they're they're good experts and they're also good at getting the word out about themselves. Right. I mean, what I what I find very often for yeah for the people who want to go solo and 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 as you know and the people listening to this or watching this podcast know that I'm very focused on the world of of fractional leadership and obviously I have a book you know that those on the video can see see here that just came out about a month ago and focused on fractional leadership focused on people who are either solo or as members of firms providing fractional non full time part time 
executive level support to businesses. So a subcategory of the type of people you work with. And, um, and, and, you know, so it's not regular consulting, but it's, it's that people are, maybe they're good at being a sales manager of teams, not necessarily good at selling themselves, or they're good at being a CTO or a COO and managing operations and people. But again, they're not, that doesn't mean they get one that the capacity to do well, the sales of themselves. And therefore you can't put bread on the table if all you are is good at being a CTO or a CFO or a COO, but you can't get business. Right, um, right. Essentially, you, you're, you're a technician. You're not right. necessarily running a business. Right. Well, maybe that's a good transition into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which is, you know, you have this podcast, you have this community. Before we get to that, like, what are the problems? What are people missing and lacking that either are, they either have gone solo, want to go solo, switching from full-time? Like, what are, what are, what have you been seeing? Obviously that led you to create all these resources, but like before those resources got created, what are people lacking? What are people missing? Um, yeah. And, what are their and, problems? And actually, yeah. So, so the, pro I'll give you some examples. And I can talk about what, what some of the problems are that, that are, um, um, emblematic in these examples. So Philip Van Dusen, who is a friend of mine and has been a guest on both my shows, Smashing the Plateau and Going Solo, he was an executive um, building up big brands, um, executive in, um, in, in major corporations. And he got burned out. Um, and he found that um, even though he was really good at what he did, he um, had no it had very little control, even as an executive. Um, and, and it got to the point where he um, he actually voluntarily left because because he was burnt out. Mm -hmm. um, he spent um, a, an initial amount of time doing some self-reflection to try to plan his sort of the next phase of his career. And what he did was he ended up founding his own brand strategy company. Mm -hmm. um, where he actually got to work with the kinds of people he wanted to work with and, and focus his time and energy on really using his expertise in a positive way. Um, so, so the issue in Philip's case was that there was a misalignment, uh, personal misalignment with um, like, like what he was doing in his, in his executive role. And he was feeling... Um, you know the 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 personal and I would say probably health consequences of uh, of of being burnt out. Um, second example is Laura Rotter, um, who was a guest on Going Solo, uh, had a very successful, lucrative career on Wall Street, managing other people's money, and um, re realized that um, you know the the question of what is enough was really eating at her and, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, earning lots of money wasn't quite doing it. And so mm -hmm. um, she ended up um, going into her own business, um, which um, she also, I, I don't know, I'm not sure whether we talked about this on the, on the podcast or not. I'm, I wonder whether she would have done it voluntarily. She also got pushed out, mm -hmm. um, but now she's doing a great job um, helping individuals manage their money and, and particularly helping those that are in, I would say, um, primarily mid to late career stage um, 
issues with, um, you know, how am I going to figure out kind of like, you know, what Laura did, how am I going to figure out what's enough? Um, you know, if I've been a high achiever and a high earner, right. but I want, I really want to change how I live my life and I want to make sure I have enough money to do that. Um, how do I put all those pieces together? Um, you know, and Laura has the expertise both on the, um, I would say sort of the spiritual dimension of kind of figuring out what's enough. And then she has the, the technical expertise to know, okay, here we can actually look at your, at your, um, your, your, um, money story and figure out what do you actually need and how do we actually do this and how do we pull right. it off so, um, so, so i mean look so those kinds of things like burnout like not being satisfied anymore like being pushed out which is maybe after the burnout and everything it ends up being finally the push but then after people go solo or if they want to go solo but they're not sure how to do it like what are the problems that they're facing in successfully even being able to do that or, or um, doing it but then not necessarily taking off. Yeah. So essentially, they, they need to figure out the following. Um, like, what is it you love to do? What is it you're most competent at doing? Who do you feel compelled to serve? What do they need? What do they want? What do they have the capacity to pay for? And what are they willing to pay for? And you put all those pieces together, and they, they actually all have to be in sync. Right. Um, if, you, if you're missing one, it's not going right. to work well. It's like eight. It's like an eight-part puzzle, but you have to have all. It is a parts. puzzle. It, it's a puzzle, right. and, and honestly, it's not so simple to answer all those questions. Particularly if you've been a cog in somebody else's wheel, you have been forced not to ask all those questions. Right. Right. So you're not like your mind is not there, and right. if, and especially if you've been you know doing what you've been doing and doing it well, and you've been in a high pressure job, your calendar's always been full, your inbox is always full, you don't really have the time and space to really think about this and do do deep reflection, self reflection. So um, you actually need some time and space to be able to think these things through. And what I've seen when when um, when people like this first start out on their own. Um, it takes some time to put all the pieces together. And even when they start to do put the pieces together, they don't always come up with the best business model, as an example. So um, you know, I'll give you an example of someone who's in our community, and I'm, I'm, I, I will call her Sally. She has um, um, a very time-consuming um, consulting business that is... Um, the, the, the income comes primarily from very customized um, consulting work and paid speaking. And, um, and the, the, the marketing part is actually very time consuming because when you're trying to um, create custom proposals for clients, it takes, takes a long time to, to sort of make, build the relationships, customize the proposals and actually get them sold. So right. the lead cycle is very long. Right. And one of the things and that what you end that, up charging has to build in the cost of the gigs you didn't get, the cost exactly, of preparing for the whole exactly. thing. Exactly. Right. And there are other models you can use that can also um, utilize your expertise and help people that are um, a little less, I would say, less stressful. So one of the things we've been working on is, is how to build um, kind of a learning community model where people are paying kind of an ongoing subscription to be part of it. Mm. And it's, um, it, it, it's a very different sales cycle, right? So that's the kind of shift that is taking place over time. And, and one of the benefits of being in community is you hear from others about 
um, where your model, your business model um, may be causing you some stress and where, where are some places that you might be able to provide some relief. And, and honestly, like in, in Sally's case, this business model is something that she was thinking she wasn't gonna be ready to do for like another 20 years. Um, and, but she's now, she's doing it now because she's getting support to kind of put the pieces together. Um, another example, is Tom who works with thought leaders. So he's, it, it, it's a B2B business model, but the sales is really like it's, there are individuals who are buying it. So I would say it's kind of a B2C kind of sales mentality. Mm -hmm. And and again, um, his model was involved very long sales cycles. There mm -hmm. were um, decreasing conversions because of some changes in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And what, um, he hadn't thought about, but now has started to do is to create an entry level package that's much lower priced, but still very profitable. And um, essentially it utilizes time that he was giving away for free to give people some initial advice that's actually very valuable to them and saves them a lot of money because they end up going down as thought leaders. You need to invest a lot of money in kind of um, things around building your brand, building your platform, mm -hmm. getting your thoughts out, it, whether it's in writing or speaking um, or whatever. But um, you can go down rabbit holes and spend a lot of money trying to build your platform um, in ways that are just not constructive. And so he's actually, his, his sort of entry level package that he's now charging for is something he would give away as kind of trying to get people in the door for a much longer higher cost relationship, but that package is saving them a lot of money on things they were thinking about spending their money on um, in actually in other services that Tom doesn't provide. So again, it's, it's a shift in, in thinking, it's a shift in the business model, and it's tapping into, um, into, into ways that he can use his expertise that he wasn't currently doing. Right. Well, so, so one, one great example you're giving of how people can fill in what they're missing and what they're lacking in terms of putting together, the, getting clarity on those eight pieces. And then there's also the, the, whole, the whole problem of executing on that. Even once you know what your business model is and what, what you should be doing, you still have to get the business. And, Correct. And so you have the problem of getting the business, getting clarity on those eight things. You mentioned this tool of, of, like this, of this independent, like-minded uh, membership community that you have. Um, what, so tell me more about that community. Like why, why did you create that? How does it work? What is it? So, so um, one of the things that I have learned about myself uh, over the course of my career, including the 28 years when I was an employee and the, the 15 years as an entrepreneur, is I personally have um, gravitated towards being involved in communities with like-minded people. So when I was an employee, I would um, either informally or formally want to be with other people that were dealing with the similar kinds of issues, whether it was in you know, formal associations or informal gatherings or whatever. And that would always help me particularly solve problems where either I didn't have the expertise to solve the problems um, so it would be great to hear something from somebody else who had a similar experience or maybe um, to learn about resources that I didn't know about. Um, and also when I was unsure of something, you know, other people would give me either feedback that what I was thinking about doing really didn't make any sense. So I wouldn't waste my time or money um, or the organization's money. 
And they would also give me encouragement if I was unsure about doing something that, yeah, this, this makes sense to try, um, you know, mm -hmm. get, get started on it. Um, and also when you're, when you're in groups like that, if you say you're going to do something, the next time you're with them, they're going to want to hear how you, how you did. So it's kind of, right. So, you know, the accountability thing is kind of weird because you're like, like, why do I need somebody else to tell me what I have to do when I'm the one who's actually saying I need to do this? The reality is when we tell ourselves, I would never ask that question. I fully understand why I need accountability. Yeah, because like, like if we know we need to do something, but there's some element of fear associated with it, the element right. of fear means we're stepping outside our comfort zone, which mm -hmm. means we're probably going into an area where if we do well, we will grow. So we actually have to, the fear is that actually a good sign that we're probably going to invest our time or, and, and or money in something useful. Um, but this, but the, the fear also causes us to be reluctant to take the step. If we tell ourselves we need to take the step, um, nobody's going to come back and, and tell you, well, why, why didn't you do it? You said you're going to do it this week. Why didn't you do it? Um, so you won't be embarrassed if you just tell yourself. If you tell one other right. person, you're more likely to follow through if you're going to see that person again. Right. Uh, and if you tell a group of people, you're even more likely to do it because you don't want to have the same conversation with a group of people every single week. It's like, well, why, why didn't I make this, um, you know, why didn't I make this difficult call with a client? Or why didn't I follow, you know, follow up with this prospect? Or why didn't I, um, right. you know, tr try this different pricing model? So, yeah, so the accountability is actually really important and that it does work well when you're in a, in a space with trusted colleagues. Right. No, it's a, it's a, it's a great, great point. Actually reminds me of, of this famous story from 50 years ago with this famous rabbi, Eliyahu Dessler, Rabbi Dessler. And he, he at one point, so, you know, he smoked like many people in those days and he decided he was gonna quit smoking. And all the people who came to him to ask questions or whatever, like there was one particular day, he told everybody he met with, I quit smoking. Like he told every, like it wasn't like a group, but he told all these people, all the students, like, you know, people who looked up to him that I quit smoking. You know, somebody asked him, you know, what are you trying to show off? Like, why, why are you telling everybody you quit smoking? He's like, because even I don't know 100% about myself that I'll be able to stick to it. But I know that I do have, and one of my advices is, you know, like anybody, I have a sense of pride. And if I know that all these people who look up to me know that I quit smoking, then I'm going to be very embarrassed. Besides the commitment I made to myself and the commitment to my health to quit smoking, if I know that I'm going to be embarrassed in front of all these people, if I, they would see me smoking again, then that's going to, that's going to like solidify my, my commitment to, to doing, you know, the hard thing which, you know, which I've committed to do. It just reminds me of that. And people can find out about that um, membership community for people who have gone solo, are going solo, went solo at smashingtheplateau.com? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, and specifically, if you want to learn more about the community, smashingtheplateau.com slash community. Okay, awesome. Um, and uh, Again, so what what made you decide to start these two podcasts, or like what is, what is your goal? I guess with particularly going solo, what's what's its mission? Um, the the mission is to share stories of people who have gone solo, um, and in particular, one of the things I don't see a lot of out there is talking about the emotional turmoil that happens 
when you go solo. Even if you leave your job voluntarily, there's a huge shift. Um, when, you, when you first start a consulting business, um, you know, the, it's like our identity is very tied up, in, especially in America, for, for kind of high profile professionals, our identity is really tied up into um, what we get paid to do. So it's like, right. you know, I'm, I'm David, I'm a vice president in such and such at such and such company. Um, as opposed to, I'm um, David, I, I, I help professionals make a living as a consultant when they've been pushed out of their job. Um, right. Right. It's, right. It's very different. Right. And, you can say KPMG, I, some kind of big brand name. That's a exactly. big part of your self-worth. Exactly. Right. And so my, my kind of status and ego is tied to KPMG. It's not tied to who I am as an individual and as an expert in my field. That's scary. Um, and, and right. And when you first start your consulting business, you have no track record doing it. Right. So, you know, as opposed to I have 25 years of doing this for KPMG, which is a great track record. So um, it's um, so there. And then if you've been pushed out even more so, there's shame, there's fear, there's grief, there's um, there's trauma. You know, I've had guests who've talked about feeling traumatized by what has happened to them and they don't know who to talk to about it. Um, there are all kinds of issues. So going solo, I really like to share stories of people that have gone through this and talk about what did it feel like? What did it feel like? Like right. the first day, the first day you were unemployed, what did you do? Um, who did you talk to? Uh, how did you, how did you deal with the, the, the grieving process of losing a job? Um, I don't hear these kinds of things being shared much. So I think that's really important for people to hear. And I know the feedback that I get from the audience is, um, you know, it's really great to hear, you know, so-and-so story about what happened to them. And in particular, you know, when we have people on that have, that maybe they were a year or two or three years into their consulting business, um, you know, how they're making money, you know, not necessarily how much they're making, but what are they actually doing that's working? So, um, you know, you know, basic storytelling is um, an individual has a setback. Um, there's some turmoil associated with the setback. And then how do they overcome the setback? Right. And right. As humans, we relate to these stories. Right. And we realize, you know, so-and-so can do it. I can do it, too. Right. Right. And and I suppose that hearing even even just hearing about the the, the turmoil, hearing about the trauma, the fear that people went through or are going through, that it makes people feel less isolated because there is that shame with, you know, or, or that lack of self-worth that you're dealing with. And to say like, oh, wait, this is, this is normal. You know, this is, this is, this is a mountain which is scalable. It's a challenge, but it's not going to be forever. And it it's not going to be forever, particularly if you do something about it. And, and the other right. thing is people need to realize if you're over the age of 50 in America, you have more than a 50% likelihood that you are going to be fired at some point. Uh, that's, a, that's a great point to tell people. So like, like, look, you could either get ahead of this or you could wait for it to get ahead of you. It's, exactly. It's like, why do we have fire drills? So that when there's a fire, we don't have to think about what to do. So same thing with your career. You need to you need to do scenario planning and know the fire drill. What happens right, if you get fired? <laughs> right. If if we're employed, what are we going to do if 
the other party decides that the employment right. story is over. Right. Um, and, and the same thing when you're in business. If what are you going to do if a client says we don't need your services anymore? Right. Well, look, that and, and that's what I tell people. People ask, you know, when I'm talking about fractional leadership all over the place. So people are ask what, you know, isn't the, you know, you know, isn't that so much more risky? Because now you have to get clients and then there's a certain turnover. So you have to continue getting clients over time. Isn't that more risky? than being a full-time employee where you, you know, you get a set paycheck every two weeks or whatever. And, you know, so I tell people that, I mean, in a certain sense, yes, but in another sense, all of your eggs are in one basket. If you lose, like you essentially have one client from whom you get all of your revenue if you're a full-time employee. And so if you lose that one client, all your eggs in one basket, you go from hundred percent income to 0% income in one day. So the need for you, the fire drill, which I love that term because it has a, the, the double meaning. <laughs> Um, and you know, if you are fractional leader, fractional executive, or you go independent and consultant or whatever you at the beginning, yes, there is a higher level of risk at the very beginning. Cause you, you know, you start off with zero clients or even one or two clients it may not be enough for what you need. So that is the toughest period and, and how to navigate that transition. Um, but yeah, and by the way, I, I would say I would say it's not necessarily the highest level of risk at the beginning. It's just you you're going to need to be able to provide cash flow if you want to maintain your lifestyle. Right. Well, that's the risk. I mean, how are you going to stay in your home? How are you going to pay your bills? How are you going to live and and not go insane? And how long is it going to take? And you don't know how long it's going to take until you have the clients. Right. You know. But once you get once you cross that bridge. Then you have diversified risk. You have a multiple clients. So you lose one. Okay, I only lost a portion of my income. And you exactly. can work on making it up. And hopefully by that point, you have a little bit of a, you'll have a little bit of a, of a deal flow going on and, uh, you know, and some things in the pipeline that you could go to and a little bit more of a reputation for doing that. Um, in terms of, you know, one, one advice that I see a lot of people doing to cross that bridge, even though it's kind of stressful at the beginning when they know they want to make the move, is to first get, you know, start putting yourself out there, maybe somewhat subtly with a little bit of tact as doing whatever it is that you want to do as a consultant or as a fractional executive or whatever, and do it as one side hustle. And that's very busy because now you're doing it on top of a full-time job and then look for your second gig. And when you get the second gig, then give your notice. So when you start the second gig, you're already starting off with two clients at least. So you have somewhat of a, uh, as, a, as, a, as an approach, it's kind of stressful. There's a lot going on at the end, but at least it it, it creates a bridge. Although it, it, that's actually good advice. Rate. And yeah, I actually have two very tactical things you could do that are low risk um, that you can do if you're still employed, but you're thinking that you may want to go solo as your next move. One is, is yeah. um, one is you can spend time developing the network that you're going to need to run a successful consulting business because it's probably going to be a different network than you currently have. Um, and that, you know, that you can do over time. It's just developing the relationships and maintaining them. The second one, which is a very practical one is if you can apply, if you don't have one already apply for a line of credit, um, because it's way easier to get when you have a paycheck, right. traditional, traditional lenders will lend to you when you have a paycheck, when you first open the doors of a new business, they will not want to talk to you. Right. Awesome. That is, that is great, great advice. And again, for more great advice for more research, for more ability to listen to people who have gone through this, check out Going Solo, David Schreiner-Khan's podcast. 
smashingtheplateau.com. You can find out more about that as well as his other podcasts, uh, smashingtheplateau.com slash community, or just through the site in general. You can find out about the membership community for people who are going, have gone uh, solo, uh, can get to be part of that community through that link. And I uh, really, really, really appreciate all the great information and stories that you shared today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ben. Yeah, thanks for coming on and we'll see everybody else on the other side. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.